I invite you to turn uh, with me in your Bibles to the New Testament to the Apostle Peter's second letter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, as we look at these three verses this morning while continuing, our lo- continuing along in our study this fall of 2 Peter. While you're turning there, if you've been with us throughout these last couple of weeks, you'll, you'll know that here Peter is focused on helping those first century Christians persevere through persecution. So while only three verses before us this morning, we're no left to wrestle with the implications of what it means to obey the Word of God. As verses 12 through 15 explain that the Christian ministry through the Word of God is a ministry of reminders, Peter showed us then why he has been writing to the saints, and now these verses in front of us point to the message that is to be remembered. Why is the Christian faith a ministry of reminders? What message then needs to be remembered? Why should we listen to what Peter's writing says. Well, you can't know of God if you don't know who God is, what God has done, why God has done it, and how, indeed, he has done it. So this morning, our text breaks into three points whereby we will note the majesty of Christ was seen, the majesty of Christ was spoken, and the majesty of Christ was heard. So here now the reading of God's holy, authoritative, and an errant word to us, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Please pray with me. Father God, we, we thank you that, that your word before us this morning does not return void. Help our, our ears to listen, our hearts to receive the message you have prepared before us. For your glory alone, we do pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Born on, on 17th of August 1786 in in Greene County, Tennessee. It's a little county. It's still there. But in Greene County, Tennessee, to John and Rebecca Crockett, David Crockett is famous for a moniker, which is what? King of the Wild Frontier. What a great nickname, right? King of the Wild Frontier. Crockett was not only an American folk hero. He was a frontiersman. He fought with General Andy Jackson. He was a politician. Did you know that? He was an elected official. Davy was a politician, but he was also a masterful storyteller. There was a time that, that, so the story goes, Davy fell asleep in the woods only to wake up to find the crescent moon above him had stolen his powder horn. Can you believe that? We thought at this point maybe the moon and Davy were friends, but the moon says, no, I need that gunpowder. I'm going to take that from you, Davy. So what does Davy do? Well, he's a man of many talents, right? He's a politician. He can probably argue with the moon. You give this back to me or else, right? He was a a frontiersman. He could just point his gun up there and say, well, I'm going to shoot it down. Well, no, Davy, again, he's good at everything. He just reaches up to the moon and he grabs it. He grabs the powder horn off off there, the little crescent moon, and says, I'm just going to keep going about my way. Famous for his reputation of being a world-class hunter-gatherer, Crockett, he also gained acclaim for his larger-than-life exploits. And you see, unlike Davy Crockett, the, the apostle Peter in verse 16, he emphatically declares that what he is passing on in his writing, it was not folklore, it wasn't myth, it was real. It was real events that happened in the lives of the apostles. They witnessed these things, things of which they saw with their own eyes, they heard with their own ears, 
Verse 16 reads, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So our first point, again, being the majesty of Christ was seen. They were eyewitnesses. They saw the majesty of Christ there on the high mountain. Before he speaks about what his message is and where the message came from, though, Peter wants to make something clear by explaining what his message is not and where it has not come from. False teachers challenged not only his ministry, but they also challenged his message. They said, well, this is outdated, Peter. I don't know. I don't know if what you're talking about is, is actually real. I mean, God, he's, this, he's love, right? And we'll get to that in a second. But Peter knew that Satan would try by every means possible to snatch away, to sidetrack, or even choke out the very word of life, which is life-giving. Peter knew that Satan would try to choke the life out of that word. So he's here saying, this isn't a myth. This, is, this happened. I was a witness to it. The gospel, he's claiming, is not make-believe. Unlike Islam, unlike Hinduism, unlike Taoism, and other religions of the world, Christianity rests entirely on objective historical facts. Things that you can pinpoint in history and say, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened when he said it happened. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ takes place, believe it or not, not in a land far, far away, but within the history of the world, within context that you and I can understand. It's linear. And unlike the false teachers of the day who were making up stories to lead people astray, the apostles, and here Peter specifically, he truthfully and accurately recounts the teachings of Jesus. It was Pontius Pilate, no less, who asked our Lord in John 18, 38, what is truth? What is truth? Those are Pilate's words. It's a question that's left humans from every single walk of life, from every conceivable context, asking for every reason under the sun. Well, what is truth? That's your truth. Is that my truth? It might not be your truth, but it's my truth. Truth is what can be proved to be real. It's a verifiable fact. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So Peter here uses these truths to respond to those undermining the apostolic message. He says, we didn't follow your myths. We saw, we touched, we talked to Our lives were changed by this man, by this person, Jesus Christ. We can attest to that. One commentator summarized the freight that the gospel carries does not rest on whether it is true for you, but on whether it's absolutely true for everyone. The way to the gospel doesn't rest on whether or not it's true for you, but on whether... It's absolutely true for everyone. If it's not true for you, well, therefore, it's not true for anyone. But if it is true, it's true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Matthew 17, Mark 9, we read this morning, Luke 9, there's no greater evidence of both the power of Christ and his majesty during his lifetime than in these three passages within the Gospels. 
All three are within the context of Jesus beginning to teach his disciples that he would have to suffer and therefore he would have to die. And that though his suffering, or through his suffering, excuse me, through his death and resurrection, that lays the route of glory. Jesus' second coming, Peter is showing us here, it's profoundly different than his first. Those accusing Peter and the other apostles of teaching myths by rejecting the second coming, they did so out of their love of the world rather than their love of the Lord. It's easy to live in a world where you don't have to face any consequences eternally. And unfortunately, it's nothing new. Today, those like Peter who cling to the word of God above all else are painted in a similar portrait to Peter, aren't they? What do they call them? they got a, bunch, a lot of buzzwords these days. Fundamentalists, legalists, conservative Christians, Christian nationalists. All of these words they use to describe people who hold to the inerrancy, the infallibility of the word of God. Those accusing the Apostle Peter are the same who accuse Christians today who believe that, yes, God is love, but also at the second coming of his Son, he will hold both the living and the dead accountable for their moral as well as as their ethical infidelities. That's what we believe the Word of God says. Therefore, if we believe his Word is infallible, that's what we believe as well. God, as he's revealed himself in his word, does not teach that we're free to do whatever we want without the fear of divine punishment. That's the opposite of what God teaches. This is a false premise that roots itself in the idea that because God is love, he forgives the vices that were once thought of as incompatible with godly virtue. God's evolved, in a sense, is what they're saying. And and, and again, they're, they're telling this to Peter. Is Peter still alive? He's having to counteract that in his writing that we're reading now, but as he was writing it, they were telling him that, having known that Peter himself walked with Christ. Eighteen times the New Testament speaks to the coming of Christ, referring not to his arrival, but to his final return in glory. Is it possible you go about living your life in a way that's, that's more aware, or maybe you're more cognizant of how not to appear as a Peter, rather than living as though the Savior were coming soon as Peter himself lived? The truth that Jesus will come again once and for all to judge the living and the dead, that ought to shape the way we think. That ought to shape the decisions we make. That ought to shape the way we do everything we do in this one life we're given here on earth. That ought to shape the way we live. Peter here is providing us with the hope we need as he says, I saw the glory. I know what's coming. Don't lose sight of the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done. Focus not your gaze on the troubles of this world, but on the one who made it, knowing that his son will return again in glory. We have to anticipate that. We cannot live trepid lives. We have to live lives full of hope. Hope that's not in the promises of what we think we know, but in the promises of where truth comes from, right? What he knows and what he tells us in his word. So as Peter and the others witness this extraordinary transfiguration on that high mountain, the word spoken by the Father helped the apostle to see the divine rule of Christ, which was yet to come. Look at verse 17 with me. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father's voice, it it confirms, it honors and glorifies the majesty of his Son. And this is our second point. This is how we get to see the majesty of Christ was spoken 
The majesty of Christ was spoken. God's voice declared the true identity of Jesus. God's words confirmed the majesty of the one transfigured before them. Jesus, the beloved son, was transfigured before the eyes of the apostle in heavenly glory and honorably recognized by whom? By God the Father. Glory being a quality that belongs to God. God here says, now it belongs to my son. It's external. It's visible, right? When we think of glory, we we probably think of, of kings, of robes, of palaces, of crowns, of scepters. It's external and visible. Honor being the recognition of someone who's attained a position through his labors and through his achievements. It's abstract and it's unknown until it's revealed. Jesus is the one who's been given all authority from the only one who can give it. I can't give Jesus authority. Only God can. Jesus crowned both with glory and honor. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. What did the scripture reading say? It was as white as bleach. Think about that. Bleach just makes things pretty white, doesn't it? That's how white his clothes were. Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, as the majestic glory spoke unto him, saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So this is the promised hope. Don't you see? This is the promised hope. The shining face of Christ, his radiant countenance, it wasn't reflected glory. It was the glory that radiated from his very deity. Here we're just given a glimpse of who Jesus really is, but we're also made witnesses to the blessed trinity as we see the Father through the glory cloud, similar to the one that that indicated God's presence in the temple as it filled the most holy place. We see the clouds speaking to God the Son through and by the Holy Spirit whose glory overshadows them. What a picture. Our text last week dealt with reminders to demonstrate that, that we know these things, but we need reminding of them. Peter was intent on future generations of Christ's followers continuing to live godly lives for Christ in the face of all kinds of persecution and false teaching. Peter likely wrote these letters from from prison. Peter himself was being persecuted as he wrote these letters. If Peter here, and I believe he is, is suggesting for the church that saints to come after the apostolic age, to follow in their way moving forward, well, one of the implications for us here today is that we must place the primacy of Scripture above all else. When we do that, we know what false teaching looks like. We know what to believe against what the world and its teachers are teaching. We must be willing to submit ourselves to the authority and to the teaching of the Bible alone against all other schools of thoughts. Peter's just one of many eyewitnesses whose testimonies speak to the fact that the apostolic gospel of Jesus Christ is not some cleverly devised myth. He's saying that this, this isn't Pecos Bill. <laughs> this is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who descended from heaven. He took on flesh, and he obeyed the will of the Father perfectly, so that in him we could be made righteous and have the hope of eternal salvation, sitting there in heaven with them when we pass from this life to the next. But what's he also doing? He says, but he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So, so what would have happened if the Israelites weren't convinced that God's word was to be taken literal as he spoke to Moses and Aaron regarding the Passover? What would have happened? Or if, if Abram had instead listened to his heart 
After God had said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. What if Abram had said, Sorry, sorry God, you know, the Google said that eating pigeons in general is bad karma, and I believe in karma, so I'm good there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess with the pigeons. Thank you, though. Or, you know, I, well, I would eat the lamb, but, but then I'd be canceled by my friends at work, and I, you know, who, who'd get the impression that I'm one of those Christians. You know those Christians. You know who they are. But I'll still wear the shoes and hold the staff, and I, I eat quickly already. You know, and, and those things are less of an inconvenience for me, so I'll still do those things. The lamb, that's a no-go. And Peter similarly here in verse 18 reminds us that we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter himself heard the voice of the majestic glory coming from heaven, declaring that Jesus was greater than both Moses and Elijah, than both Abraham and Jacob, than all other prophets. And lastly, we see here, The majesty of Christ was heard. The majesty of Christ was heard. Peter heard God declare his delight in the perfect sufficiency of the person as well as the work of the Son. The apostles not only saw, but they heard God identifying Jesus as the appointed king to fulfill the the, the role of the authority and the judgment over the nation spoken of in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, the verse reads, "Is for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. They saw, they heard. Peter thus calls people to remember. He's calling us to remember God's truth. Remember the gospel, he says. Remember the gospel. Remember specifically the second coming. Friends, truly this is the case. The early reader of Peter's letters were not very different than you and me. They weren't that much different than us. They didn't have Wi-Fi back then. Think about that. But they were likewise men and women who had come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And as such, what does that mean for them? Well, they remained on the outskirts of society. C.S. Lewis appropriately calls those in Christ, God's chosen elect in Christ, right? He calls them elect exiles. And he says, at present, we're on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all of the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with that rumor that it will not always be so. So today, God willing, or he said someday, excuse me, God willing, we shall get in. Remember what truth is, is what Peter's saying. Remember what truth is. All kinds of claims and ideas are spread in the name of truth, but, but when you press those, those claims, what happens? Well, usually they're false, aren't they? Peter's testimony here reminds us that these truths are not just another myth. In the gospel, we're entrusting ourselves to truth whose many eyewitnesses were even willing to die so that their claims could be heard because they believed what they saw, because they saw it. Reverend David Strain once said, Christianity is like gravity. It can't be relativized or dismissed. You don't have to believe in it, but no amount of disbelief and gravity can prevent you from ending up a greasy smear on the ground where you'd walk off a cliff. You can't make sense of the world, he says, until you come and bend your knee to the one who made it and gave his life up to the cross to redeem it and restore it. So if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe the story of who he is, his person, work, 
the cross, if you don't believe any of it, I'm here to tell you that, that, that the Christian gospel is not a myth. It's, just, it's not another fast food restaurant. The invitation to come, believe, repent. I'm, we're not asking you to just try another cheeseburger, right? The seasoned fries are no different than the other seasoned fries. This isn't a, a, a fast food restaurant in Christ, right? It's different. This isn't a myth. The gospel is not just another story on a bookshelf full of tales, right? It's different. The invitation to come and follow Jesus is different. Don't dismiss the one who knows how you were made because what do we know? He not only made you, but he made you and all things for his own glory. So brothers and sisters, the heart of, of Peter's message to us this morning, while often difficult to believe, is simple. And I have to believe we know it so well that because it's so simple, we often forget it. Peter's saying, however unsatisfied you are with yourself, God is more satisfied with Christ for you. However unsatisfied you are with yourself, God is more satisfied with Christ for you you it's easy to forget isn't it how do you keep pressing forward in faith and obedience when life gets harder when life gets more tiresome when life gets more hectic remembering the beauty of the gospel not searching for some new innovation from some fancy teacher who's got a fancy new message he's got a fancy new wardrobe he's got a a fancy you know facebook following go down the checklist of what the world looks for peter's saying remember the beauty of the gospel What you need is a reminder of who Christ is and what he did for you. Who Christ is and what he did for you. Remember the facts about Jesus, his person, his work, his message, his glory, his grace, his power, his coming. To turn our eyes to that mountain of transfiguration with the apostles and see again the glory cloud. And hear again the voice from heaven. And know the glory that that glory that shone then was just a little glimpse And one day it will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we'll all see it radiating for the majestic face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Peter's saying it doesn't have to have an LED screen. It doesn't have to have 5G capabilities. It doesn't have to be delivered by Amazon. You actually, you can pick it up, right? In the Bible, you can pick it up. You don't have to turn it on. You just open it up. He says, remember the truths of the gospel. Remember who Jesus is and why he came and why he's coming again. Remember the claim so that as you look back in faith, you can look forward in hope. As you look back in faith, you can look forward and hope to something far greater than whatever's troubling you today. Please pray with me. Father, please forgive us for, for favoring today above all other moments as if our insights are, are greater to those of our fathers and mothers in the faith, as, as if we can, we can discover what they never knew in a new way to discover it. Instead, Lord, help us to put aside our pride and, and in humility stick to the old paths, to go back to the old stories, to go back to Christ and his cross. Christ in his love, Christ in his glory, so that 
Looking back, we, we may have grace to cling to hope as we look forward to the day when every knee will bow before your throne and when you return in everlasting glory. How we long for that day. For we pray this in your matchless name. Amen.